please open in your forms of prayer or your Trinity Psalter hymnal to the back to the Canons of Dort. We'll be continuing our study through the Canons of Dort. We'll be looking at uh, the first heading, um, Article 9 and Article 10. Article 9, election not based on foreseen faith. This same election took place not on the basis of foreseen faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on a prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. Accordingly, election is the source of each of these benefits of salvation, faith, holiness, and the other saving gifts, and at last, eternal life itself flow forth from election as its fruits and effects. As the apostle says, he chose us not because we were, but so that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Article number 10. Election is based on God's good pleasure. But the cause of this undeserved election is exclusively the good pleasure of God. This does not involve his choosing certain human qualities or actions from among all those possible as a condition of salvation, but rather involves his adoption among all those possible as a condition of salvation, but rather involves the adoption, adopting certain particular persons from among the common mass of sinners as his own possession. As Scripture says, when the children were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, she, Rebekah, was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Also all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And now we'll turn to the Holy Word of God, to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be looking at reading uh, verses 3 through 14, but specifically honing in on verse 4. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he has set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, why do you choose the things that you do? What is it about your favorite food that you enjoy so much? Or why do you choose to do some activities over others? And why do you enjoy them so much? Why did you choose to come to church and why to this particular church? Or why did you choose the spouse that you did? Or better yet, why did they choose you? See, everyone has motivations and reasons for the choices they make. So our theme this evening as we examine Scripture is the reason for your election. And we'll look at this at two points. Nothing inside of you and all that is inside of him. Now, election can be a confusing topic and one that has caused many theological debates. One way they want to skirt around the issue of election is with foreseen faith, that God looked down the barrel of time and elected those whom he saw to choose salvation in Jesus Christ. And we will investigate how election is not based on foreseen faith and election is not based upon any attribute that makes you superior to God or to another. See, those, are, those against the doctrine of election flip the argument of Paul. Remember, just like we heard last week, they got the order wrong. See, it's not that you believe and therefore belong, but rather you belong and therefore you believe. So the canons of Dort summarize the teaching of Scripture to correct any improper teaching of the doctrine of election. The first instance in our text showing it, it was not based on foreseen faith, but God's good pleasure was the words in him. See, the him here refers to Jesus Christ. And this language can be kind of confusing. And what it does mean that God chose us in Christ Now, similar language is found throughout the Scripture, and just sticking with the book of Ephesians, we can see evidence for it. If you look at verse 7, it says that in him we have redemption through his blood. Now, also in verse 10, to unite all things in him. Also in verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And in verse 13, Verse 13, it is stated twice. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now lastly, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we were created in Christ Jesus. Now technically it's not the same as in him, but verse 10, the translators of the ESV used in him instead of in Christ, which is what is reflected in in the original languages. The point is that there's no shortage of this usage of this phrase in him. 
because it's part of Paul's theology. See, we were chosen in him, and in him have redemption through his blood. In him, all things are united, and in him we have obtained an inheritance. See, in him you have heard the word of truth and believed in him. See, the picture Paul is painting is that Jesus Christ might have preeminence in everything, that Jesus Christ reigns supreme. See, Christ was the firstborn of the elect as their head. And then we follow. You see, election does not find men in Christ, but election puts them there. So you're chosen in Christ. It is not of yourself. You're chosen in Christ to be members of his body as the pattern which you should conform to and as the final end for Christ's glory. So the simple phrase, in him, excludes all merit. Everything that you have of your own, whatever talents you believe you have, everything about you is unworthy when Paul says that you were chosen in Christ. See, in Christ demonstrates to us that there's nothing inside of us for the reason for our election. But also the time of our election indicates that there was nothing good in us. See, next Paul indicates that election was before the foundations of the world. And the first question is, what distinction is there among those who did not yet exist? This is where they apply the theory that God looks down the tunnel of time. And because of foreseen faith in Jesus Christ or obedience or holiness or any other quality that was a prerequisite or condition for that person to be elected. See, they're trying to weave around election. But this doctrine undermines God in other ways. See, trying to retain the free will of man, they soften the doctrine of total depravity. They believe man still possesses the intellectual abilities to choose for himself Jesus Christ and salvation. And you know that not to be the case because if God looked down the tunnels of time, all he would see was sinners. Sinners at enmity with him, running away from him, and not toward God at all. But also they undermine God's intellectual abilities. His knowledge that God knows everything. And that there's nothing that God does not understand. He does not need to learn. Or his wisdom that God knows exactly how to use his knowledge in the best way in which he receives the most glory. Or his veracity that every decision is true and it will come to pass. That God does not need correction. He does not need to make an amendment or an appendix. God doesn't need to look down the tunnel of time because he already knows. See, you need to gather information to make decisions. You check the recipe to see how much sugar to put in your cookies. You check the speedometer to see if you should slow down or speed up. You look at the GPS to determine when to take your next turn. See, God does not need information to make his decisions. He does not need research before writing a paper. He knows all things. So in their effort to avoid election using the teachings of foreseen faith, they diminish the intellectual ability of God. And they elevate the will of man. 
See, Paul also indicates to us that our election is not based upon foreseen faith or our qualities because he states that we should be holy and blameless before him. Which indicates that we're not what we need to be. And if we need to become something which is holy and blameless, it follows then that we weren't these things to begin with. You see, there's nothing inside of you. But whatever you become is a result of something else. John Calvin states that the fact that they were elected to be holy plainly refutes the error that derives election from foreknowledge. Since Paul declared all virtue appearing in man is it the result of election. From the foundation of your election in Christ flows faith, flows holiness, and all the other saving gifts, and eternal life. Everything that is virtuous and makes you worthy of choice starts from your election. It is the effect of the election. And this is consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ in John 15, verse 16. See, the disciples did not choose Jesus, but instead Jesus Christ chose them and appointed them so that they would bear fruit. Their election leads to bearing fruit, fruit that will abide. So you're not chosen. You are chosen not because you are holy, but because but you are chosen to become holy. See, opposition to this doctrine reverses Paul's order. See, the order is not you become something and then you believe. The order is you belong, you believe, and then you become. You become holy, become blameless. And this is Paul's argument in Ephesians 2.10. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But also again in 2 Timothy 1.9, where it reads, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, election is the source of each of the benefits of salvation and the good that is in you. And because election is the source of these blessings, you're unable to separate election from holiness. Your argumentation cannot be, I can live how I choose, for if I'm a part of the elect, I cannot perish. The security of election is not an excuse for us to sin. But instead, it is more likely that you are to grow in holiness. If you're chosen in Him, you have been showered with a growth in holiness and purity and every excellence that is found in the fruit of election. Election produces holiness not sinfulness. As one commentator boldly proclaimed that holiness is the very purpose of our election. Therefore, the only evidence of election is a holy life. Election should be your incentive to grow in holiness. You are unholy and blameworthy, deserving of nothing but the judgment and wrath 
of God. But by God's grace, he elected you and you became something. You became holy. You became blameless. You went from rags to riches. But how do you become holy and blameless if it's not something that you are? See, that responsibility was first placed on Adam. Created with every advantage. He was promised life to the fullest extent if he showed absolute obedience to God. Instead, by the instigation of Satan, he chose not to love God, nor protect or love his neighbor Eve. Instead of life everlasting, Adam experienced the curse of his disobedience and imputed to him all those who came after him with the guilt of his disobedience. But there was a beam of hope with the promise of the seed to come that would crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus Christ was that seed. It was his sacrifice, a perfect life lived. And while he was stretched out on the cross and he atoned for your sin, he felt the heat of God's indignation so you could feel holy and blameless before him. A feeling that you did not deserve. Saints of Jesus Christ, just as your election depends on nothing that you have done, so does your righteousness. It is given to you by another, not because you are better, nor because of any good works that you have done, but only because of what is inside of him. See, the love inside of God first begins with the divine self-love. God takes pleasure in himself, and the primary object of God's love is himself. As each person of the Trinity loves each other and does not need love outside of their selves. See, God's motivation for this electing purposes was not something that he saw in you. It was not something that he needed from you. But it was what, is, it was, what was inside of him. See, when we say God is love, as Calvin explains, it's God's nature. It's his being. It's his character. It's his essence. God is love. And it's a love so broad and deep to the fullest range and definition of the word. It's not the same word as this, if the definition of the world's view of love, a tolerant and accepting of sin. The love of God is greater than this. It's a love that transforms. God's love exposes sin because he is light. He consumes sin because he's fire. His love does all this without destroying the sinner. His love saves them. And this shatters the world's definition of love, a shallow expression of tolerance and acceptance. Who wants to be loved like that? That can only, a love that can only accept and can't transform. See, God's love refines but does not consume It's a love that saves. A love deep enough to save the most fallen sinner. God's love is self-sacrificial. And it's what's inside of him. It's part of his being that you cannot separate. That you cannot divide. And God's love can be seen from different angles as he interacts with his creation. His love is uninfluenced. It cannot be bought with gold and silver. 
Nothing in you that enticed or prompted his love. It's simply because he loved you. Listen to the comforting words of Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else that is in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are God's elect, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. This security should be a motivation to strive to put off sin and live holiness. But why are your loyalties divided? Why is your love sold to idols? His love's unchanging. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. If anyone knew all your thoughts, every single one of them, if anyone here was privy to this information, would they still love you? Understand that God knows every unrighteous thought you've ever had or ever will have. He knows every picture that you look at. He knows every word that you have read. You cannot hide your thoughts or intentions from God. And yet he still loves you with an electing love. A love that you cannot be separated from. So why do you go cold and half-hearted in the service of God who knows exactly who you are but still loves you? His love's also eternal. That there's never been a time that you have been without the love of God. Your whole existence, every day of your pilgrimage, you are experiencing the love of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His love started for you in eternity past and continues now, right through this very moment, and leads all the way through eternity's future. You will never experience a moment without the love of God. At different times through your Christian pilgrimage, you might feel his loving discipline, but even then, he still loves you. Every moment of your life, you experience the love of God. But why then do you distrust or fearful or depressed? God has loved you from eternity to eternity. He loves you without limit, with an infinite love. His love is not a limited supply. It fills creation with the beauty of mountains and valleys and rivers and oceans, trees and plants, moons and stars and the night sky. Think about Abraham. God promised that his offspring would be like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, and his love extended to all of them. His love fills all the hearts of his people. Imagine the multitude of people whom God loves. How do you quantify that? And his love is never in short supply. It's never exhausted. So you could spend all of eternity looking at the different angles of God's love and it never would be exhausted. But see how he demonstrated his love for you. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son born of the virgin womb, just like us in every regard, but without sin. 
His whole life was a perpetual obedience to God. Never a moment of sin, never a moment of waywardness or of insubordination, a life that leads all the way to the cross, submitting to death on the cross. And even though no sin was found in him, the sins of his bride were placed upon his shoulders, stretched out on that cross in full humiliation in front of all of his creation. And the wrath of God was poured out upon this spotless lamb. The entirety of his wrath for every sin that we've ever committed. See, sin was atoned for. And what was broken in Adam was restored in Jesus Christ. Now spiritual blessings have been showered upon us. See, in Christ is the only way you can experience this grand demonstration of love. He is the only way to get to the love of the Father. So come to Him and experience the love of God. See, it was not what was inside of you, but what was inside of Him. It was His love that has chosen to love you. A love that sacrificed, a love that waited for you, a love that is patient with you. And once you've been captured by this heartfelt love, it is an undoubtedly will produce a change in you. And since the love of God has absorbed you, shouldn't you also love one another? The dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning a question was asked if your desire was to be with Jesus Christ or you're asking him to depart. See, without Jesus Christ, you will not experience the love of God. See, apart from Christ, you will not find this kind of love. An idol, that won't give it to you. A sparkling object of man's creation, that's not going to get it done. You will not even experience this love from another human being. Only in Christ Jesus will you experience this love. So come to him. Cling to him, brothers and sisters, and never, ever let him go. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you, understanding that there was nothing inside of us that was the reason for your choice. Father, but it was what was inside of you, that you are love, that you are a God who looks upon us and has pity and mercy and has given us grace. Lord, we're so grateful for your electing love that you chose us because you did not have to. There's no need for the love of your creation, Father, that you exist in perfect harmony as a triune God and love that we will never be able to comprehend. But you allowed us, because you created us, to experience your love. And we're grateful, Lord. May you continue to show us and open our eyes to this love that we may share it with one another. It's through Christ's name that we pray. Amen.